Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. This is my Bible. It is God's Word written to me. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. So I receive it as truth for my life today and open my heart to hear God speak a word, reveal Jesus to me, and fill me with the Holy Spirit so that my life will be changed forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Listen to this. In winning mankind back to God, Jesus reinstated what man had lost. He lost his dominion and he lost the right to reign and rule with God. From the throne of triumph, Jesus declared, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore. That's part of the Great Commission. In other words, he was saying, I got it all back. Now go use it and minister to people and help mankind. In this passage, Jesus fulfills the promise he made to the disciples when he said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 16, 19. And whatever you bind... Forbid, declare to be improper and unlawful on earth will have already been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose, permit, declare lawful on earth will have already been loosed in heaven. Notice he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. This is not a trick question. Shout it out if you know the answer. What do keys do? They open things that are locked. Isn't that true? And they lock things that are open. That's what keys do. Jesus said to his disciples, I will give you the keys. Those are authoritative. Those come with responsibility and they come with power. And not the keys of the earth or the earthly realm, but the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Listen, not heaven the place itself, but the authority of the place here on earth. And this is important that we grasp this because we need to know that the original plan that God had with Adam and Eve was never aborted. It was fully realized once and for all in the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ. We were restored or reinstated to His plan of ruling as an extension of Him and His people and in His image. We were born to rule with God over creation, over darkness, to plunder hell, and establish the rule of Jesus wherever we go by sharing the gospel of the kingdom of God. Think about this. When sin entered the world, 
Creation was infected by darkness, disease, sickness, afflicting evil spirits, poverty, natural disasters, and demonic influence. Our rule is in place and it's supposed to, in part, be focused on exposing and destroying the works of the devil. Did you know that? Look at this verse in 1 John 3, 8, the back half. This is what it says. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, or He appeared, that He might destroy, come on, finish it with me, the works of the devil. So what's one of the purposes of Jesus? To destroy the works of the devil. What are some of the works of the devil? I listed some of them. Darkness, disease, poverty, sickness, deception, right? Spiritual death, sin. Those are all the works of the devil. And one of the reasons, if I might even say this, one of the primary reasons Jesus appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. This is important, and that's why we've been talking about this subject of living an empowered life. Living an empowered life. And I've mentioned this, but it's worth mentioning again. The word empowered means to fill with power. It means to fill one with strength or to make one strong. It can also mean to impart or to give ability that you didn't have before. And so how is the person who's following Jesus empowered to live for God? He's empowered by the person and the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And that's why we've been on this series. It's about, really, at the crux of it, it's about learning to open up to the Holy Spirit and learning how to live from His presence and His power Versus living from our own natural strength and our own natural power. And as we grow in our understanding of the Holy Spirit, and as we grow in our relationship and our closeness with the Holy Spirit, and we learn to yield more and more and follow His lead and His direction, the more and more you and I will experience living from His power, not trying to live from our own natural power. Amen? And so, really important, workbook number one, if you remember, that emphasized the person of the Holy Spirit. Workbook number two emphasized the power of the Holy Spirit. And this final workbook that we've distributed is emphasizing the demonstration. Some of the things that the Holy Spirit has been sent to do through us in power. Um, obviously, fundamentally, in the foundation of love. Always from the love of God. If you've missed any of those messages, um, they're on our podcast, on our website. By the way, I don't know about you, but I don't usually catch everything the first time I listen to a message. I don't usually catch everything that the Lord wants to show me the first time I study something out. As a matter of fact, I've learned over 30 years that the more you go back and the deeper you dig in some of these subjects, the more insight and understanding the Holy Spirit will give you as you do that. Amen? So important. So if you missed any, or you're just not a refresh, go back. we got the study guides and we got the podcast. So let's look at Mark chapter 16 again, 
verses 15 to 20. Give us a running start. I'm going to read it. This is what it says. Jesus said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. Sign number one. In my name they will cast out demons. We talked about the fact that that could be an exorcist. Jesus performed them. But that also includes learning to take authority over darkness and the devil and the oppression and the fear tactics that he might try to use in your life. Sign number two. They will speak with new tongues. And we've done two teachings on that already, so you can go back and get them. Sign number three. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. Sign number four. They will lay hands on the sick, and they, the sick, will recover. Verse 19. So then, after that's where Jesus is right now. He's seated at the right hand of God. By the way, the right hand of God is authority. He's seated in a place of authority. Verse 20. And they, his disciples, they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. Look at verse 18 again. It says, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and the sick will recover. So the title of our final message today is simply this, personal protection and healing to others. Come on, say it with me. Personal protection and healing to others. Now, I realize that some of the challenges that uh, the believers in the New Testament Bible days faced uh, do not necessarily apply one for one today. Um, But taking the gospel to everyone today in our crazy world is pretty hazardous. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, there's strong opposition from the enemy. There's dangerous travels. There's unstable politics, animalistic culture, to be honest, deadly pandemics. Uh, unsanitary conditions. That's just to name a few of the contemporary risks that we face today in our culture and in our society. Um, if, if we don't know who we are in Christ, but instead allow fear to grip us, we will either fail to launch out and share the gospel, or if we do launch out and share the, the gospel and we don't know who we are in Christ and we don't know our authority in Christ, and we don't know some of these signs that Christ said would follow those who believe, we can get in trouble, and we can put ourselves in harm's way once we step out. So we want to look a little closer at this divine protection, this personal divine protection that Jesus promised, and we want to look a little closer at ministering or bringing healing to others. Now, divine protection and healing to yourself is applicable 100%, and we need to be learning in that learning how to apply the Scriptures for protection for ourselves and healing for ourselves. But as followers of Jesus, how many of you believe that the Scripture points to the fact that as we're doing that, He wants us to step out and begin to bring healing and restoration to people around us? Amen. Do you believe that? I know some of you might not necessarily be at that place where you're ready to do that, but stay with me, and we're going to learn together, and we're going to step out and follow Jesus. Look at it again with me. Mark 16, 18, the front half. They, his disciples, his followers, will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. Now, I just want to clarify 
Um, Jesus is not speaking literally of picking up serpents or picking up snakes or testing God by doing that or drinking poison. He's not, he's not literally talking about that. And uh, I, I thought it'd be interesting to show you. Uh, it's a five-minute clip, but I don't think it'll be boring, and I don't think you'll fall asleep. A five-minute clip of a church, like in today's culture a few years ago in the Appalachian Mountains, who took this particular verse out of context. And they literally have services where they're handling snakes. I want to show this to you to emphasize the fact this is not what Jesus meant. Let's show the clip and then we'll come back to the message. Just weeks ago, Mac Wolford, a renowned Pentecostal serpent handler, died after suffering a bite from one of the snakes that he used to show his devotion to God. Wolford's death sent shockwaves to the Appalachian congregations committed to carrying on this practice. The faithful continue to handle venomous snakes on a regular basis. Gary Tuckman reports. This church in the heart of Appalachia is completely quiet just before the service begins, except for the creature inside this locked box. It's a rattlesnake, and it's rattling. It's one of seven deadly snakes about to be used in a wild ceremony in God's name. This is Pastor Andrew Hamblin. He's a 21-year-old serpent-handling pastor at the Tabernacle Church of God in La Falla, Tennessee. He, his wife, and the rest of this congregation practice Christianity much differently than almost all other Christians, using venomous snakes <clears throat> as part of their service. Why? They point to the New Testament, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, verse 18. It's stated in part, they shall take up serpents. Believers like Pastor Hamblin say when God anoints them, they have an obligation to do this and that God will protect them. And even if they are bitten, their belief is God will heal them. No doctors necessary. If it looks dangerous, that's because it is. It's also illegal in the state of Tennessee. But that only strengthens the pastor's conviction. Snake handling in churches is a tradition in decline. But Hamblin wants that to change. It's against the law to have snakes in a church in Tennessee. Does that concern you? No, sir, it don't. Now, if someone was to get bit and die, I know the authorities would come in on us and probably shut us down. But that's why I stress so much to my people to, you know, make sure. But now, if it's their appointed time to die, there's nothing I can do to prevent it. This is not a con game. These snakes are poisonous. They can't kill. And they do kill. Just a few weeks ago, the pastor of this church in the remote West Virginia town of Matoka was bitten by one of his rattlesnakes during a service. Pastor Mac Walford initially refused medical care, but as he got seriously ill, he gave his permission to go to a hospital. But it was too late. He died the same day. The pastor's father died the same way three decades earlier. Pastor Walford died two days after his 44th birthday. Outsiders were not invited to the funeral. But perhaps it's not surprising that the funeral home tells us snakes were part of the graveside ceremony. Any given time, I mean, it could, it could turn around and bite me. But like I said, the Lord, either he'll let it bite or he won't let it bite. He'll let it hurt or he won't let it hurt. You know, it's, it's all up to God. Roy Lee Christian Jr. is the assistant pastor at another church in West Virginia, the Church of the Lord Jesus in the town of Jolo. He was at the service where his friend, Pastor Wolford, was fatally bitten. He's shocked and saddened, but his faith remains the same. It says, they shall take up serpents. 
That doesn't mean you have to, does it? Is that your interpretation that you must take up serpents? Well, if, if, you, if you believe the Word of God strong enough and you really believe it and the Lord moves on you, you'll do it. Back in Tennessee, the 21-year-old pastor says he's been bitten four times in two years. He says he almost died after the first bite and says he's prepared to lose his life from a snake bite if God determines that's how he should go. I realize that, and, and I've thought about it. I have. I've really thought about it, but uh, that's why that it, it pays to be ready spiritually. Another verse from the New Testament states that faith quenched the violence of fire. So that's why this test of faith happens at many of these services. This is called handling fire. People burning their hands, arms, and other body parts with flames shooting out of bottles. Are you ever worried that seeing people burn themselves and the snakes will frighten your children? No, not really. How come? Uh, when God's in it, they ain't no harm in it. This woman had been crying during much of the service. The pastor saying she had been going through some emotional difficulties. She then took to the altar, grabbing a rattlesnake and shaking it with abandon, almost daring the serpent to sink its teeth into her skin. To us, it looked like she had no idea about the personal risk. Pastor Hamblin, though, claims God had anointed her to handle this deadly serpent. I'll stand before Christ Jesus, and I'll be judged according to my works on this earth. The people we talked to at this church know what happened to Pastor Walford in West Virginia. But that risk won't stop them from coming back to this church, looking for salvation in ways both unusual and illegal. Gary Tuckman, CNN, La Follette, Tennessee. So this is not what Jesus meant that we should do. Can somebody say amen to that? Right, let me just read something here. Uh, Jesus is speaking, and he says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 7, and he's quoting an Old Testament scripture. It is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. In other words, you shouldn't foolishly test him. You shouldn't handle a snake. You shouldn't drink something poisonous and just say, oh, well, if it's God's will, he'll keep me alive. If it's God's will, he'll take me home. This is not what Jesus was referring to. So, Pastor Robert, what did Jesus mean? Here, here's what he meant. Here's the point. You and I as followers of Christ, you can walk in divine protection from the enemy. Not foolishly handle snakes. Amen. That's what he meant. And there's plenty of scripture that points to the fact that we should have faith for divine protection. That doesn't mean that we're going to go stand in front of a Mack truck because we think God's going to protect us. Right? Listen to Luke chapter 10 verse 19. Jesus said, listen to this. Behold, he's speaking to his disciples, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Jesus wasn't talking about you taking up your own bug killing business and stomping out scorpions or, or serpents or any. He's talking about divine protection from the enemy. And if you study the Scriptures, the Bible speaks to the fact that um, Jesus using the word serpents or snakes is obviously, uh, uh, could refer to a literal one, but He's metaphorically referring to the enemy. 
He's metaphorically referring to the devil. By the way, not a trick question. If you know the answer, just shout it out. In Genesis chapter 3, what was it that tempted Adam and Eve? It was the devil in the form of a a snake or a serpent. So all throughout the Scripture, metaphorically, when we're talking about serpents and snakes, it refers to the enemy. It refers to the devil. Jesus never intended for us to deliberately take up snakes. not anything that we're going to do. How about Psalm 91? How many of you know Psalm 91? If you don't know Psalm 91, like, uh, I'm, I'm not trying to make anything difficult for you, but it's just, it's one of those psalms that would be good for you to at least know some of it by heart. Okay? Psalm 91. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. This is a divine protection psalm. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. From the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers. Under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. Listen, you shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. Listen to this. A thousand may fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Somebody say amen. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. The wicked are people outside of a relationship with God. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. Look at verse 11. He shall give His angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Listen. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent, you shall trample under foot. So again, another reference to snakes, cobra, serpent. He's not talking about literally stomping on snakes and serpents. It's metaphorical for the enemy, for the attacks of the enemy, for the oppression of the enemy, for the works of the enemy, for the devil. In, in the Bible, for example, in 1 Peter 5.8, 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober and be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, he goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's not talking about a literal lion. But he's metaphorically using that as a description for the enemy. And in Revelation chapter 12, it emphatically identifies the devil as the serpent, and especially the one that was in Genesis in chapter 3 that brought deception to Adam and Eve. So I just want to clarify what he's saying is, as you're sharing the gospel, as you're going out as a faithful witness for me, you can have faith for divine protection You can have faith for God to keep you under the shadow of His wings and protect you as His son or as His daughter. Somebody say, thank God for that. That's important. Next. Next. Look at Mark 16, 18 again. Next. Jesus says, in addition to this divine protection, this personal protection, they, my followers, my disciples, 
will lay hands on the sick and they, the sick, will recover. Here's the second thing that I want to emphasize today real quickly. We can bring healing to others. Come on, say it with me. We can bring healing to others. They will lay hands. It's the Greek word epitithemi. Epitithemi. Epi means upon, and tithemi means to put. So lay hands, or they will lay hands. It simply means to place upon or to put upon. And it's referring to, you've seen it, when you go up and you pray for someone, or you've seen someone pray for someone. Many times, we'll lay our hand on their shoulder, or you might have seen someone lay their hand on someone's head, or something like that. We are imparting faith and healing in alignment and in agreement with the scriptures that speak of the fact that God is our healer, that God restores, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We're aligning our hearts, our faith, our mind, our will with the power of the Holy Spirit to bring healing and restoration to people's lives. For example, Luke 4.40, when the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases, they brought them to Jesus and he, Jesus, laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Jesus would lay his hands on people and bring healing and restoration to people. I think it's important to recognize that the ministry of the kingdom of heaven or the ministry of Jesus includes preaching, it includes teaching, and it includes healing and restoration to people. How many of you would be okay if God began to open our hearts to a new level of understanding and faith where we could receive healing through one another by the laying on of hands? I believe as, as, as our culture is getting darker and darker, the church is going to get brighter and brighter. And we need to learn to receive from the Lord these gifts and these signs so that we can be a blessing to people around us. Um, Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. I just want to, it's not on the screen, but I was looking at some things this morning and some of us, this is, this is a good thought. Well, Pastor Robert, you know, that was Jesus. I'm not Jesus. <laughs> I'm with you on that. I mean, it's a natural train of thought. Uh, that was Jesus. So, of course, he was laying his hands. But, but just if you're making notes, this is a good note. Luke chapter 9, verse 1. Listen to what it says. Then Jesus called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Verse 2. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And then I go down to verse 6. Listen to this. So they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. That wasn't Jesus. Those were the 12 disciples that Jesus selected and empowered. Somebody say empowered. So important. That's what we're talking about. And then some of us might, I, I had these thoughts. Well, those were the disciples. Of course. I'm not one of the 12 disciples. Of course they were empowered by, of course they could heal. Okay, but then we go over to Luke chapter 10, verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also. 70 other what? 
Disciples, followers of Jesus, people, people in flesh and blood like you and me. He appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Listen to this. Listen to the heart of Jesus. Then he said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Verse 9. Listen to verse 9. He says, wherever you go, heal the sick there. And say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So he's empowering 70 others. And you might think, wow, did it work? Look at verse 17. If you're just taking notes, 17 through 20 or 19. Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. What does subject mean? In other words, they're saying, in your name, we had authority over the demons. That's what he was saying. Verse 18, Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He was being defeated. Verse 19, listen to this. This is Jesus. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Doesn't that sound very similar to Mark 16, 18, what we were reading? Pastor Robert, do you believe this? I do. I believe it. And I'm praying that God would awaken us to the potential and the hope and the faith that we can have in Jesus. And I'm praying that God not only awakens us as a church, but He would use us to bring a revival to one another, to the life flow of Jesus and the Spirit of God. And I'm praying that He would use us to reach people beyond the walls of the church, beyond the walls of our family, to the lost and to the people who don't know God so that we can win them into Christ and we can win them into the family of God. And one of the signs that Jesus said would follow those who believe is that we would be able to lay hands on the sick and bring healing and restoration. It says they would recover. Say recover. It's interesting. The word recover, it means to be well. It means to be healthy or to be in good shape. And it doesn't always mean that instantaneous healing takes place in that moment. Sometimes it refers to the fact that recovering took place as we stay in faith, as we've prayed for healing, as we're believing God, as we're thanking Him for working in people's lives. Little by little, they begin to recover and experience a restoration of health. Has anybody ever experienced a recovering after you've been prayed for or after someone laid hands on you? Barbara did in a very real way. I remember Yolanda and Joni and I think Kathy Millette when she was here with us. Barbara was really sick. She could barely walk. She had a a nerve that was bringing her intense pain to her body. She couldn't get any sleep. And on that particular Sunday, these three ladies, they got together with Barbara. They anointed her with oil. They prayed the prayer of faith. They came into agreement. I think that night, if Barbara would tell you, she could tell you for sure. But I think that night, she got a good night's sleep. And the next day, the pain wasn't anywhere close to what she'd been experiencing for weeks. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Lord, help us to believe you for that. Help us to press in for that. Help us to trust you, to use us, to bring healing and restoration to people around us in Jesus' name. Now, I realize that 
there's a level of confidence and there's a level of faith and a level of boldness that it takes to begin to step into praying for other people. I realize in groups that sometimes people are afraid to even just pray for a meal. For whatever reason, they don't have any confidence to pray. But if you'll just stay with us, if you'll lean in, if you'll begin to pursue Jesus at a new level, little by little by little, we want to teach our church family how to pray for themselves and how to pray for other people and to have confidence in doing it. I know this isn't a message on prayer, but one of the keys to effective prayer is learning what the Bible says because we want to pray the Word. Right? We don't want to pray what we see. We don't want to pray our feelings. We want to bring our hearts and our faith and our minds and our words into alignment with what the Scripture says about healing. There are a lot of Scriptures about healing and restoration. And if we learn what the Bible says, it makes it easier to pray for ourselves, to pray for our kids, to pray for our friends, to pray for our spouses, to pray for our loved ones. I just believe that God wants us to receive fresh and anew everything we've covered. I know there's a lot. But to receive fresh and anew an empowered lifestyle that comes as we recognize and we receive and we yield to the person of the Holy Spirit of God. That's why He came. So that we can live an empowered Christian life. Amen. Have you been blessed by the Word today? Come on, let's stand to our feet and we'll pray and we'll close. Father, we love you today. We're so grateful for the word. We're so grateful for the opportunity you've given us to, to come together and to worship and to praise. Lord, right now, I just take an opportunity. We may have missed it earlier. And I lift up every single person under the sound of my voice. Those that are with us in person and those that may catch this on Facebook. Every single person under the sound of my voice who may be experiencing physical sickness, in any way, shape, or form, especially those kids. We've got some kids that are experiencing physical sickness. Father, we come in alignment with your word in Exodus 15, 26. You said you are the Lord God who heals. So we believe that you are a healer. We believe that you're the great physician. So we pray for healing and restoration over every single person, over every single child. Lord, by faith, we extend our faith and we extend agreement and we declare healing and restoration and recovery from sickness and disease from the top of their heads to the soles of their feet. Father, we know that there's nothing impossible for you, so we thank you for their healing. We receive their healing and we just believe it and we receive it. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I think it's worth mentioning a lot of scriptures about healing. A lot of teaching about healing. But one of the things that I think we need to begin to realize is that a lot of healing can come when we start eating better and we start taking care of the temple of the Holy Spirit. Right? The Bible says we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? Now don't hear this in a hard way. I'm just saying part of the blessing that we have is God's given us this amazing body. And when we learn how to manage it a little better some of the healing that's already built into us by God begins to take place we have an amazing body some of you are saying that by faith I know you are but I just want to encourage us hey let's believe for healing and prayer but let's also ask the Lord to help us to become a little healthier and how we take care of the temple of the Holy Spirit
Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.